From Radio Vermont, it's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. It's your show about the people, places, and the issues that matter the most to you. Now here's your host, Dave Graham. Good morning, Vermont, on this Tuesday, July the 16th, 2019. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Dave Graham Show on WDEV, FM, and AM. And uh, got a good full show lined up for you this morning. We're going to be talking first uh, with our meteorologist, Roger Hill. There's a new report out from the Union of Concerned Scientists. Uh, I saw a link from Facebook, uh, I think the Hartford Current had a story this morning, a couple other places I've seen it around. Uh, the Northeast is going to be getting a lot hotter, according to this Union of Concerned Scientists study. We'll be talking with Roger about that in just a couple of minutes. I also wanted to mention upcoming guests later in today's program. Uh, a lot of controversy surrounding the comments over the weekend from President Trump regarding the uh, four women of color, uh, first-term members of Congress, uh, and uh, the president uh, issuing some quite racist statements about uh, these four women. We're going to be talking with Curtis Reed Jr., who is very active in uh, racial equity issues here in Vermont. He is executive director of the Vermont Partnership for Fairness and Diversity. He's been a guest on the show before a few times, and uh, we'll be glad to have Curtis back this morning to reflect a little bit on what is going on out there in the United States of America right now on, on race issues. Uh, and then in the latter part of the show, we're going to be talking with our good friend Stephen Pappas. He's the editor of the Times Argus and Rutland Herald. And uh, he uh, has been interested actually in having a conversation on our air about a little debate they're having at the Times Argus about whether to run advertising from a company called Jewel, no relation to our good, our good friend uh, Dana Jewel. Different spelling, in fact, J-U-U-L is the company that makes these uh, e-cigarettes, uh, which have become a boomingly popular, boomingly is a word, among teenagers out there in particular. A lot of concerns about the long-term health impacts of this uh, huge growth in popularity of e-cigarettes among teenagers, worries that advertising is helping to contribute. To, uh, obviously, people buy advertising for a reason, and we... Um, we're going to be talking with Steve Pappas about his paper's decision to run those ads, and we'll be uh, doing that in the second hour of the program. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm thinking uh, we may have a, a guest or two from the uh, maybe Cancer Society, Society Heart Association part of the world, still, still working on that, just to get their thoughts on on what kind of impacts these ad, these ads do have out there. So that, that'll be an interesting conversation as well. But first, I wanted to bring in Roger Hill, our good friend. He is uh, the WDEV meteorologist. And uh, he might, I thought he might have some thoughts about this news out of the Union of Concerned Scientists. Uh, Roger, have you been able to look at that uh, at that story, uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, thanks a lot, Dave, and uh, good morning, everyone. So, yeah, um, you know, in fact, we're going into a pretty hot period, you know, this weekend, and kind of the lead-up to that is uh, we're going to feel a lot of humidity. And uh, so uh, this report is uh, really focusing on what we call heat indices or heat, the heat index, and that's the feels-like temperature. Mm-hmm. And the feels-like temperature is calculated from relative humidities that the National Weather Service has developed. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, the index, uh, it, it looks like it's going to exceed what we've been using as a staple for a number of, um, probably more than a couple decades now for heat indices. And 
we're going to probably go to another approach, which is called global wet bulb temperature, which takes the wet bulb temperature. It's the measurement of. Um, well, it's hard to explain, but it takes a. It's a. It's a metric on how much moisture there is in the air combined with the temperature. What is the feel? feels like uh, to a human being and so forth. And so we're going off the, ch- off the scale, so they have to, they have to revise the, uh, the heat index. It's, uh, it's, quite, um, it's, it's quite alarming, uh, as you might think. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of people who are affected by the heat. Um, uh, heat is a, a huge killer, especially in urban areas where uh, the nighttime temperatures, for example, are, um, you know, they keep up in the, in the urban heat island um, uh, due to all the asphalt cement and whatnot just reinforces and re-radiates heat after a long day of temperatures, uh, you know, above 85, 90, 100. And uh, we're going to, in fact, be seeing a lot of that. But the, uh, the new information is based on uh, carbon dioxide levels uh, that were around 410, 413, somewhere in that area, oscillate back and forth. Uh, the generality is that it's going up, of course, and that with business as usual, and unfortunately, we're adding more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. This is increasing uh, our heat indices, and uh, what the Union of Concerned Scientists have been able to do is take this and sort of break it down across the Northeast and even with various states. And uh, you want to talk about that? You want me to talk about that? No, why don't you talk about that? Okay, so um, on average, and I don't think in most recent years, I think we've been a little bit over this, but uh, on average, typically, historically, in Vermont, there's about two days per year with heat indexes uh, or heat indices above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, With uh, business as usual, this would increase uh, to 19 days per year on average uh, by mid-century, 30 years from now, approximately, what, 31 years. And uh, at the end of the century, uh, 44 by the uh, century's end. And uh, this is... A very serious business because a lot of us, of course, don't have air conditioning. We don't need air conditioning. It hasn't been the kind of climate that supports uh, the need of air conditioning. And, and even what was it last year, the, a couple of years ago, I believe it was, we had a really bad heat wave that uh, engulfed all of the northeast United States as well as into uh, Quebec. Quebec, of course, uh, they had uh, quite a few fatalities of heat uh, related uh, illness. And uh, this is going to be a problem. And I know there's a lot of folks who, uh, you know, are pretty worried about, you know, a really bad heat wave, even up here in the northern woods. So by the, uh, if we were to limit the global warming or the amount of CO2 uh, to limit it under uh, a total of two degrees Celsius uh, above the pre-industrial levels, uh, and doing, you know, taking action on curbing carbon dioxide, uh, we'd only have around 13 days per year on average. And by the end of the century, an estimated 610,000 people, the population of Vermont approximately, would be exposed to a heat index of above 90 degrees Fahrenheit for the equivalent of one month or more per year, limiting warming to two degrees Celsius uh, worldwide would spare roughly 590,000 of those residents such days of extreme conditions. So uh, it's, uh, it's a serious uh, report that's just uh, brand new, hot off uh, the wire, basically. And a lot of these calculations are, are, as I was getting back to the National Weather Service heat index, we're going to have to change the index because we're going off the charts, literally. Yeah, I mean, and, and and this this is serious stuff. And I should say, by the way, the Union of Concerned Scientists 
you know, when I was working as a reporter for the Associated Press, they were they were considered a, a very reliable uh, source for scientific information. I, I they were they were kind of a go to a lot on on uh, issues connected with nuclear energy and other energy issues. Obviously, they've been following the climate change issue. That's another an, another uh, area of public policy where where you hope that uh, science is given a lot of uh, credence and. Uh, this is something that uh, they do. They are uh, folks who are, they are scientists. Their research is based, very solid science, and, and uh, they don't mess around. This is not hyperbole. Uh, they are um, reliable, I've found them over the years, and on, on a wide range of, of issues that are, that touch on science. And uh, when the UCS, uh, you know, I, I pay attention when they when they make a pronouncement like this, uh, they, they are... Um, they broke their report down. It focused on impacts in the, in the northeastern United States. I've been looking around. I, I don't know that uh, know what they're doing regarding other regions of the country, <clears throat> but uh, of course we're in the northeast, and that's our our main uh, focus here. Um, the this this you think about these two days that we have now on average in Vermont per summer uh, of of a heat index above ninety. And those are the two, pretty much, in my estimation, most uncomfortable days of the year. I mean, in the, uh, uh, unless you you uh, you consider twenty below and et cetera in the wintertime, unco- more uncomfortable. But in terms of heat and humidity, those two days, uh, you take your two most uncomfortably hot and humid days of the summer in Vermont, and uh, uh, and and consider that you know before. Many of our uh, children or grandchildren are passed in, into uh, history. Uh, they're going to be facing 44 days like that a year. Are you kidding me? Yeah, uh, that's like, uh, okay, you know, you know, everybody's been to Washington, D.C., I would imagine, uh, down the middle Atlantic states on, uh, you know, the, that when the Bermuda High is pumping up that humidity and that heat. Um, that's kind of like Washington, D.C., uh, you know, statistics. And so it's like moving the climate of D.C. in the summertime with these heat indices uh, up into Vermont in the northern parts of New England. And uh, uh, it, it affects not only humans, of course, it affects uh, huge amounts of uh, our ecosystem and, and some of the, uh, you know, the interplay with that. And, you know, think about um, those kind of heat indices and what that might do to Lake Champlain, for example, and, and the, uh, the blue-green algae growth. Uh, for example, it's it's a terrifying situation. Uh, we really have to get off fossil fuels, and that's that's the real thing here. We have to go on a course that will take us below two degrees Celsius. I'm not sure we're going to make it. Um, some of the climate science that I'm also seeing from uh, this is not the uh, Union of Concerned Scientists, but uh, the, the the rumor around a lot of climate scientists right now is that the uh, the, the 2100 is is the new. Uh, Excuse me, uh, 2030 is the new 2100, and so <laughs> we're not that far from that. So uh, things are speeding up a lot faster, and I think a lot of our science is based on information that it takes a long time to calculate and then work on, and uh, things are increasing, and they're unfortunately ahead of pa- the uh, pace of what the science uh, information is being put out. So things are a lot further along than, uh, than we think, folks. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, let's go to a caller. We have Mike on the line from Northfield. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I I wanted to uh, compliment both of you on this. Uh, Roger is the best weatherman I've ever heard. Uh, he explains things. He gives us new words to think about, and he gives us the explanation of the the meaning of the word. 
and you get people on that are interesting, and I really appreciate both of you. Well, thanks. I'm going to let you and uh, checks in the mail. <laughs> All right, Mike. Hey, uh, 244-1777 is the uh, local number here in Waterbury, 1-877-291-8255. Any listeners out there with any thoughts about climate change? What are some long-term solutions? Are we all going to be driving electric cars? Are there are there downsides to driving electric cars? Uh, do we have worries about the environmental impacts of manufacturing and disposing of all those batteries, just for instance, uh, et cetera? Roger, I appreciate you getting on the radio with me on short notice this morning to talk about this breaking news that uh, uh, has been carried by a number of media around New England. I know the the Hartford Current had it uh, this morning and uh, uh, a couple of other places I think I've seen it. And uh, it's it's an important story, I think, that uh, talks about and really zeroes in on the geographic area that we're in, the Northeast. This is a study from the Union of Concerned Scientists talking about the fact that uh, the two hottest days of the summer, uh, uh, right now, the when the when the heat index in Vermont tops ninety degrees, uh, the um, uh, they're gonna we're gonna have forty four days like that by the end of the century per year. Yikes! Let's go to Jim and Chelsea and see what's on Jim's mind. Good morning. Yes. Good morning, guys. Great, great uh, topic again. Um, I'm curious. Number one, if the electric companies are beefing up their systems because so that we don't go into a brownout using our air conditioners too much. Mm-hmm. And part two, I hope the Chelsea Road crew has air-conditioned trucks and their roads, their windows are closed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll hang up and listen to your response. Okay, thanks. I, you know, that's a good question about the electric companies. I, you know, I think GMP in particular, which is, of course is Vermont's largest power company, uh, has been uh, has a reputation as a pretty forward-thinking outfit, and and they are, uh, you know, Mary Powell, the CEO there, has been talking about these issues for a number of years now, uh, and trying to prepare. You know, she's been also talking up the idea of electric vehicles as one of the possible solutions lots of renewable energy of course they are and they sometimes get uh, get get heat for this uh, from folks who don't like uh, big big wind towers and so on but of course they developed that big wind project up in Lowell they they've been really pushing a lot of alternative alternative energy and so on and uh so I, you know, I think they're they're trying to be on top of this for sure, and and uh, might be worth uh, me checking in with them and seeing if somebody from GMP wants to come on at some point, as as well as you know, we we occasionally have folks from uh, the other smaller utilities in Vermont, but it's it's always a good thing to get updated on. Uh, so and uh, Jim, are you still there? No, okay. Uh, and uh, I should have written it down. His second question that slips to me, Roger, did you catch that? Um, uh, I think it was about air conditioning in uh, the um, <laughs> the town trucks, and I believe Williamstown. But I, I... Uh, Chelsea, yeah, and and um, uh, right in the neighborhood, though. And and you know, I, I obviously I, I I think that folks, uh, it, it it it's a tough thing. People need to take care of themselves and not get overheated. Uh, I really feel for folks who are out there, you know, swinging. Um, uh, pickaxes and stuff and landscaping and masonry and all the heavy stuff people do out out uh, outside this time of year uh it's it's tough work in any temperature but when it gets uh, gets up into the 90s yikes imagine so, being a roofer dave oh yeah yeah that is i i've actually done work like that before and uh i remember the the uh, the 
asphalt shingles kind of burning my feet through the bottoms of my shoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, um, full disclosure back yeah. to utilities, if you don't mind. I yep. just wanna, um, I, full disclosure, I work for the utilities. I contract through them through Velco. And, of course, Velco covers all of the state of Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, and Green Mountain Power is the biggest within, of course, Velco. And uh, yep. led by uh, Vermont Electric Co-op and, and then a number of others, um, smaller scale, uh, Washington Electric. Uh, you know, from my perspective, I got to say, um, I'm very proud to work with Vermont Utilities. Um, they are doing the right thing. They care. Their planning is spectacular. Um, they are looking out not five years in the future. They're looking out 10, 20. They're looking out, uh, and they're, you know, we should all be very proud uh, to be in the state of Vermont and be proud of our utilities. Uh, that's that's my connection now. Of course, I get a paycheck from those folks, but yeah, yeah. I have to say that as their weather hazards forecaster, uh, which I'm on the ball constantly with uh, every other, you know, anything that causes a power outage and manpower and whatnot, um, they are nothing short of spectacular. And uh, if you look into it, you should be very proud of the Vermont utilities because they are tip top uh, and they're leading in many, uh, they're leading the nation on many scales. Let's go to Dennis in Royalton. Good morning, Dennis. Uh, weird question, but on uh, CBS Morning News, this is probably 10, 12 years ago now, they made a comment about the seven or more supermoons in a year being called uh, Titans effect. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if there are any like patterns in the weather you know, that are reoccurring on that perhaps this lunar event had actual effect on changing the weather patterns. Now, they said it comes like every 168 years. Okay. Let's so, go, let's go to Roger. He's the expert here. Roger, any, any, uh, any knowledge or thoughts about that? Um, I, I know of no, um, astronomical changes other than the sun, with solar sunspot cycles, you know, becoming a little lower, and that that gives sort of a minutiae, like point zero zero one um, of energy um, decrease, and and but that does tweak the climate just a little bit. It's a very minor thing. Well, wouldn't it affect the, the tides, which would change the current, and which would change the ocean flow, which would change the air currents? Which so the previous one. Would have been all right. So now it's like twelve years ago today, and the one before that. So that I'd put it like in nineteen thirty. I mean eighteen thirty-seven, and so like in eighteen forties and such, the whaling ships are all looking for the northeast passage because it was a warming spell at that time. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't know. I I I hear what you're saying, Dennis. I think if you look at the fact that most of the warm most of the warmest years on record have occurred since the year 2000, uh, the, the, that pattern doesn't really fit any pattern that you might have in mind there. So. No, but what? Yeah, there wouldn't be as accurate of records back then anyway, would there? I mean, you know, so that you could actually. When did weather records, Roger, first become uh, pretty solid? Like in the late 1860s, right? Yeah, about the 1860s. On a, on a but but that, you can go back. Paleoclimatologists, which uh, have um, made fantastic ground in trying to sort of back engineer what the climate, what the Earth's 
climate was doing uh, can go back in in rocks and in sediments and in ice cores and can put a pretty good picture together. It's not going to be as detailed as, uh, you know, the Burlington observation or the Montpelier observation, but there's really good proxies out there to, to use. Tree rings are, you know, looking back and some of the uh, tree rings, for example, in redwoods, they, they can go back and see when there has been big fire years, drought years in California and so forth as an example. Uh, the same thing can be applied in, in uh, New England and just all over the world. So there's um, actually a whole lot better data than people think um, going backwards, but it's also at the same time um, in terms of astronomical uh, you know, moons or, or whatnot, it's really the sun that sort of powers our climate. The sun is really the main influence. And when you add carbon dioxide, the temperatures warm because the molecules dance and that generates heat. When you cool the sun energy or you take out a little more CO2, say down to 280 parts per million where we used to be pre-industrial revolution, um, we have a, a more or less normal, considered to be baseline normal climate. And that's where all of civilization developed. And we are le- we've left the Holocene, which is done well for our civilization on the planet Earth uh, for food and agriculture and whatnot. And we're now into the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is one that's going to feature these kind of heat waves. And this is not going to be very kind to humans and not going to be very kind to a lot of ecosystems. And hence, that's why we're starting the mass uh, extinction. Doesn't Anthropocene doesn't have to do, doesn't that have to do with uh, anthro is is human, right? Human caused. Yeah. Okay. And we have, um, you know, from space, you can see, you know, from a satellite picture, you can see smo- uh, uh, clouds that are formed from carbon dioxide combustion from some of the big cruisers and whatnot in, in the ocean. So, um, the Anthropocene is we are definitely controlling things, but there are natural cycles that a lot of stuff we don't understand out there yet. And so you can't rule that kind of stuff out, but at the same time, the real driver is carbon dioxide and sunlight. All right. Well, we are at about out of this uh, out of time on this segment of the Dave Graham Show, WDEV, FM, and AM. Roger Hill, our meteorologist for WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group, I want to thank you very much for joining me this morning. My pleasure. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch on this stuff. Uh, we are going to a bottom of the hour news break for some CBS News, some words from our sponsors. When we return, we'll be talking with uh, Curtis Reed Jr. about the racial climate in Vermont and the country. We'll be back shortly, folks. I wish I had a dollar for every compliment I get about our selection upstairs at the Warren store. This season's collection boasts country casual clothing for men and women, dresses for summer weddings and events, baby clothing from Zuchano and Doodle Pants, and fair trade jewelry from around the world. I'm excited about a new line of pottery from Londonderry, Vermont. Also, illuminated paper stars for outdoor fun. It's a great day trip to Warren Village. Come for lunch on the deck and upstairs for some unique retail therapy. Fun, funky, and friendly, and almost world famous. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. Coming into our uh, program for this July the 16th, 2019, and uh, wanted to bring in uh, uh, someone in Vermont who's very thoughtful on issues of uh, racial equity and uh, race relations in, in general. Been on, been on the program here on the Dave Graham Show a few times before. Always like having him as a guest because he's a... Uh, 
provocative thinker and someone who's very up on all of these issues. Uh, Curtis Reed Jr. is the uh, executive director of the uh, Vermont Partnership for Fairness and Diversity and joins me on the phone this morning. I think for, I think for Boston. Is that right, Curtis? Uh, that's correct. And uh, thank you very much for agreeing to get on the phone with me. I know you're traveling, and so uh, I'm glad you were able to break away from whatever you do down there and, and uh, talk with us this morning. Uh, obviously, there's a number of issues out there, uh, both within Vermont and, and uh, certainly uh, nationally, that uh, need to be addressed. Uh, the big the big one is, uh, you know, all the headlines the last couple of days have been the uh, latest remarks from the President of the United States. And, and, and I just wanted to get your your initial thoughts on uh, on we did on my word we just had a, a segment in the last half hour about climate change because a big new report out from the Union of Concerned Scientists about that uh, it seems like there's changing changes going on in the racial climate in this country too and they are not good what's going on yes um, no they're they're not good and you know my question is where is the outrage from Vermont Republicans um, you know, to the president's comments that, you know, do Vermont Republicans endorse uh, what Trump is saying about uh, black and brown people returning to whatever country that they were, their, their, their um, uh, countries of origins. And again, in this case, country of origin is the United States Yeah, for, for most of us. But where is the outrage from Vermont Republicans? I've not heard a peep uh, from uh, the Republican Party leadership uh, on the president's comments. Do you, do, you, do you think that there is, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to really attribute motivations here or or give you reasons why. I mean, I guess I, I should be... Uh, I mean, and and by the way, if there are any uh, Republican leaders in Vermont, I would include Governor Phil Scott, uh, Senate uh, Minority Leader uh, Joe Benning. Uh, You know, you think about uh, Patty McCoy, the uh, Minority Leader in the Vermont House. I mean, these are the Republican leaders in Vermont these days. Um, And, you know, I I can't really attribute to them what uh, what might be... uh, if there's anything behind the fact that we haven't heard uh, much on this yet, but I, I, uh, I, I've got to say that I think there might be almost a certain weariness or fatigue going on here because the president has made quite a number of remarks like this. I was called up short. I'll, I'll, I'll readily admit yesterday on the program, I was talking with one of our national correspondents from talk media news, and I was making some remarks about how I thought that, uh, it was interesting that that Trump and and the Wall Street Journal editorial page were both out defending Nancy Pelosi against criticisms voiced toward the speaker by uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and some of the other uh, more left leaning members of Congress and. Uh, and I, you know, I was trying to be a bit of a, a little, a little bit of a wise guy and say, anytime the president comes out and defends Nancy Pelosi, that's a, that's a good day for Democrats or whatever, <laughs> you know. And and uh, and then this guy called up and he and he was pretty outraged at us, uh, and, he, and saying that uh, both the talk media news guy and I were pathetic for for not uh, really zeroing in on the president and his own remarks himself. And um, I I guess. 
my my initial take on it might have been that I, I mean I, I didn't really think it through, but my initial take was probably that well there are tons of other folks doing that, so I'm trying to add a, a slightly new wrinkle here or something. And then the other the other aspect of it is that um, that 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 the president has has done this has done this kind of thing maybe not to this degree as much but this kind of thing so many times that after a while it gets to be almost I hate to say it but old news or something uh, and then I started to think about it just right here live on the air and I did and I did say it was you know I, I did then start heaping some some opprobrium on the president and talking about how how outrageous his, his comments were they and, and I mean you tell me Curtis what, what yeah. did did you think that they were that they were uh, worse than uh, than previous comments? I mean, it seemed to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he is um, blatantly he is blatantly being racist in 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 his comments. I mean, you know, before it was maybe a dog whistle, but right now this is like a bullhorn that is uh, yeah, emanating from the White House and. What I find incredibly disappointing is the the crickets coming from the Vermont Republican Party uh, that that they are condoning um, this behavior, this this ideology, this racist ideology coming from the president. Uh, where do Vermont Republicans stand on what the president is saying? Yeah, I, I, I actually, um, I, I'm surprised, frankly, and, and I guess I, I better look before I before I speak here because I haven't done a Google search this morning to see whether uh, Governor uh, Phil Scott has issued a statement. But normally, something like that would pop into our email here, uh, mm-hmm. and I have I haven't seen it. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, might be he's on a couple of days off. It's midsummer after all. I, I don't know. Right. Uh, you well, know, I mean, there's 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 nothing on the. Uh, you know, website for the Vermont Republican Party, which is you know sort of their voice, their uh, uh, voice piece. That's who you uh, expect they'd post something. Yeah, yeah. Right. Then you post something immediately saying, you know, this is abhorrent. This is not how we as Vermonters think about uh, the racial climate in the United States. Uh, that you know that that. So there's for, for me, I'm, I am incredibly disappointed. Um, in the Republican establishment in the state of Vermont as it relates to the president's comments. You know, one of the things I noticed, I saw a story, I think, early today that uh, uh, the uh, some Republicans around the country are, are starting to speak out about this. A couple of members of Congress uh, are saying that they thought that the president's pronouncements over the weekend were really beyond the pale and just uh, just uh, unacceptable, et cetera. Unacceptable was a very common word that I saw in this in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there are some out there, which is frankly kind of unusual. A, a lot of people have remarked previously on how cowed it seems the the uh, you know how and how cowardly a lot of the Republicans have been in the face of some some previous comments from the president uh, where he was uh, he, he was really at least stepping awfully close to the line of racism if not right over it. Do you think about the his comments yeah. surrounding the, the events in Charlottesville a couple summers ago? Right, and and what he's done is and and you know the the silence, the deafening silence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really provides comfort to white domestic terrorists. You yeah. know, that that when when the 
party in power, when the um, representatives of that party in our state refuse to speak out, it, it really provides comfort to, you know, white domestic terrorists that would really love, um, you know, for this to be the mainstay ideology of the United States. And that's what is really dangerous. I mean, we live on a human scale here in, in Vermont. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it is, it is, um, I think really dangerous. That silence you mean? Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wanted to ask you too, Curtis, uh, something struck me about this, these particular comments by the president, which just, I mean, it was really, uh, had a had a very very sharp and nasty ring to it this whole this whole trope about going back to where people came from um i mean that's a pretty ancient thing that we used to hear people say about african americans you know if you don't like it here go back to africa uh that goes back a long way mm-hmm. i mean do, do you think that there was any any um I mean, was it just a, a habit of thinking and speech that came out with the president, or was he was he actually thinking, you know, I'm I'm going to dig that whole thing out and and use it in this context? No, I think it was very conscious on his part to to resurrect, um, you know, the, the plane of, of yeah. I, I think it was uh, really intentional on the part of the president. Yeah, and 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 that's I. I don't know. I mean, that, that's weird, I guess, is the best way I can describe it, because why why does a president like any president want to be, you know, that that provocative? I mean, I can sort of understand he's a man who's absolutely swimming in white privilege his entire life. OK, so he maybe is unaware. He's maybe very, very clumsy and and perhaps harbors, you know, some very racist attitudes. OK, all, all of the above. But it seems like we're, we're, we're beyond that here to where he's he's intentionally looking for ways to be maximally provocative. Is that yeah. Yeah, that's that's. It's not a question that he's tone deaf. Um, he's being very strategic and very uh, intentional in his use of language. That's and, the thing. Well, he's, he's not tone deaf at all. I mean, if anything, this guy has some real communication skills. It's just the question of the question really surrounds you know how he's using them. So, uh, hey Curtis, let's. I'm going to bring in a couple callers here. We got the phone ringing now. <laughs> Michael right. from Michael from Barrytown joins us. Good morning, Michael. Oh, good morning, David. You know, over a year ago, I believe it was, I saw a film of his father, Fred, in his Ku Klux Klan outfit marching in New York City. Yeah. And and so he was raised by a white supremacist. And Stephen Miller, just the looks of that man sends the shutters up my back. (laughs) If anybody ever ever gets uh, cast as Dracula in the movies again, he might be the guy. Oh, my, yeah. You got you a central casting for that one, yes. Uh, so we're talking about white supremacy here. And when I observe what's going on with him and other people that are near and dear to him, it looks like it's right out of the Gestapo playbook. I mean, the stormtroopers going around and snatching people from their homes. Here they're snatching children. Uh, and others, uh, there's nothing careless or casual about this pervert. He is just, you know, I was watching, I was watching a few months ago, a documentary filmed in England about psychopaths. And they ended up 
with a 20-point list that you check off. And I forget, I think it was if you had three or four check marks, you were definitely in that realm. And I admit that I'm biased because I cannot stand anything about that individual. But I swear to you that I found just about all those those things checked off for him. Uh, and I was reading... There's a there's a psychiatrist Mindy Lang or Ling out of Yale, and because I I googled what do psychiatrists currently think about him, and that was the first article. And she has a lot of credibility because she she talks about the advisability of not trying to evaluate somebody unless they're actually on the couch, but she pointed out that his actions. And his words are so prolific that psychiatrists are able to get a very, very good reading of a lot of different things that other people wouldn't know to look for. And she just she said that he doesn't have any cognitive skills, that there are other things that render him incapable of serving in any kind of capacity like he's in right now. So, yeah, we got a lot of work to do to get rid of that thing. Well, all right. Uh, thank you for the call, Michael. I appreciate it. Let's go to another Michael in Waitsfield. Uh, Michael, good morning. Hi, good morning. I I have a question. I don't know if it's fair, but I kind of lean in this direction, and I'm not going to talk about 100% of the elected uh, government officials in Washington. If you do not say anything or write anything, um, is it fair to say you're in 100% agreement when you come to so- a statement that says, egregious as this you don't have to speak about every single thing that 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 people are talking about but when you when come to a statement like this it's so it's, it seems to me so obvious and so important that if you don't say anything you're making a statement so you're it sounds like you are your question was at first i thought you were going to uh sort of forgive or excuse uh the republicans i mean curtis reed our guest has been sharply criticizing vermont's republican leaders re- leaders for not speaking out and and really expressing outrage about the president's tweets over the weekend okay so you called you, you you called up and said, is, is silence necessarily agreement? And I was thinking, uh, you know, my first thought was, oh, this, this gentleman wants to uh, essentially defend the Republican leaders because they're just because they're agreeing. They're not necessarily silent. But now you're it seems as though your later comments go to an idea that uh, that they really should be speaking out. Yes, you have an obligation on certain subjects that become uh, important to basic basic American uh, values to say something. And if you don't say something, I'm going to say that you agree. All right. Well, thank you for the call, Michael. That's an interesting point. I think, Curtis, uh, it sounds like I'm, I'm guessing you would agree. Would you, Curtis? Yes, I do. Very, very much so. And this is this is sort of over the top. That, and and uh, silence is complicity. Silence is complicity. Wow. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to, I, I think. And, and uh, so, um, you know, folks really have to be uh, out there. And, 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 and again, I, I was I was called up short a little bit. I was a little maybe asleep at the switch or something yesterday when I was talking to our talk media news guest uh, about the sort of political, you know, out, outcome of all of this because I, I I felt like we had been hearing on the news all morning that the uh, that this was a uh, an outrage and so it was it was would have been stating the obvious but then then after the call we got about that uh, calling us pathetic I said yeah you're right 
I definitely ought to make the statement. This is outrageous. Uh, there's just, there is, it, it, it's, it almost seems to say when we, there's no excuse, we, uh, we, we absolutely, I mean, it goes beyond that. You need to say something stronger. I just haven't, I haven't come up with quite the right words yet, I don't think. Uh, and someone, a caller called in yesterday and said uh, they, he was talking about their districts. Well, if you read the full quote from the president, he never uses the word districts. He does use the word countries. So it's quite clear he had some foreign travel in mind for uh, oh. for these for these four four women. I mean, is it? Do you can you imagine a different interpretation, Curtis Reed? Uh, no, you know, and 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 clearly the, the this is the, the the president playing the race card. You know, yeah, as it relates to uh, propping up his his uh, twenty twenty campaign. There's no. Um, yeah, it's just unconscionable. And let me ask you about that, though, because it strikes me as, I mean, I just have to hope that that the um, nobody gets a majority these days in the United States of America by blatantly making racist comments. You know, in, in other words, you might you might get you might shore up your base if your base were some percentage. I hope well under fifty. You know, what, you know what I'm saying? Yes. But you know the, the the type of identity politics that that uh, Trump is, is is playing. Um, at, at the end of the day, whether he wins or loses, um, the country has lost because he has created this fissure um, based on on race. Yeah, and and you know that is going to take a long time uh, to heal. And we we've got some callers who want to get on. Unfortunately, we're fast approaching the end of this segment, and I and I did want to get a couple of final thoughts from you, Curtis Reed. Uh, so I, I may not be able to get to everybody uh, on on the air here. I apologize for that. Uh, maybe I'll have an open call in period uh, sometime in the next couple of days and and say, uh, hey, folks, those who wanted to offer some thoughts on this, please do. Uh, but. The, uh, the the question that I had for you, uh, Curtis Reed, was just, what now should people do about this? Uh, well, they need to speak out. Mm -hmm. They need to uh, call their elected leaders. They need to call their party uh, officials and, and, and put the question to them bluntly. Uh, do you support what the president said? Do you support um, his playing this racial identity card? Uh, to uh, a shrinking white base um, as as uh, as a way of promoting um, what it means to be an American. Um, so basically, you hold public officials accountable right now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's Curtis Reed's advice, folks, and uh, uh, I, I, uh, I, I get it. Hey, uh, Curtis Reed Jr., thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, you're a, a, a great uh, speaker on some tough topics often, and I appreciate it. Great. Well, thank you for an opportunity to share my thoughts with your audience. Alrighty. Hey, uh, we're going to take a top of the hour break here for some CBS News. Go to Talk Media News back in a few minutes, folks. I wish I had a dollar for every compliment I get about our selection upstairs at the Warren store. This season's collection boasts country casual clothing for men and women, dresses for summer weddings and events, baby clothing from Zuchano and Doodle Pants, and fair trade jewelry from around the world. I'm excited about a new line of pottery from Londonderry, Vermont. Also, illuminated paper stars for outdoor fun. 
It's a great day trip to Warren Village. Come for lunch on the deck and upstairs for some unique retail therapy. Fun, funky, and friendly, and almost world famous. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. We are back, continuing into our second hour of the program today on this Tuesday, June the twenty. What is it? June the sixteenth, uh, uh, July the sixteenth. Man, oh man, I got to wake up here, have another cup of coffee or something. July the sixteenth. <laughs> I think what messed me up on the number was I had the month wrong or something. <laughs> Yikes. You know what it is? I want to slow summer down. I don't want it to pass by so fast. I just really have a deep inner wish that this were still June instead of already mid-July. But it is July the 16th, 2019, and uh, we are... uh, we are glad to have you stay with us into the second hour this morning. Tom Squiteri of Talk Media News, I expect, will be joining us shortly uh, to talk to us about some of the national issues going on out there. The president is still on the warpath with uh, more very critical comments directed at the uh, at the four first-term members of Congress uh, at whom he was tweeting over the weekend. Got a lot of pushback for the racist nature of the tweets that he issued. Uh, I, I say that a, a little bit advisedly. I don't. Uh, I, I used to be reticent about out and out accusing any kind of elected official or somebody of being racist, but uh, this is so, this is something that has been widely reported by all sorts of mainstream media who make their living uh, on objectivity. I, I think folks are just finally figuring out they've got to tell the truth, and the, and the truth is there's, there's when you start telling people of color to go back to where they came from. Uh, there's no other word to describe it. That's just the way it is. Uh, the sky is blue. Comments like that are racist. And uh, there you go. That's, those are the facts. Tom Squiteri from Talk Media News is on the line right now. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm also well. Thank you. That's good. So uh, you have uh, some... Uh, I think your lead story is the one we've been talking about a little bit on the program this morning. We had a uh, what did the full moon today? <laughs> uh, maybe maybe that was the problem. I don't know, but boy, is it is this actual fully intentional strategy, or was the president just really, uh, you know, talking through his hat or something when when he uh, when he tweeted this weekend? Um, I can't answer that question, and here's why: uh, I never was good at. I'm I'm not always good at divining strategy of individuals. Let me let me tell you that President Trump may be just says stuff that comes into his head, or this may be part of a larger strategy. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough and one. It's, it's difficult. It's tough for him because he's unorthodox in many ways. Uh, you know, one person asked me once, uh, not on radio, but just you know, in a conversation at a at a dinner I was attending at a friend's house, if I thought that the whole feud between George Conway and President Trump is fabricated. In other words, that they really all get along because, of course, George Conway is married to Kellyanne Conway, his top advisor to the president. And I thought, wow, what an interesting perspective. What an interesting question. I don't know the answers to that, but given this president and, you know, an orthodox grand master he may be or just shooting from the lip, who knows? Yeah. I, 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 um, I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, that and because and the reason I ask is because this trope about you know going back to where you came from, you know, that's probably one of the first racist comments I heard in a schoolyard when I was eight or something. You know? Oh yeah, and you know, if you know anything about American history, uh, this was a whole mantra throughout on and off throughout history. The 
so-called American party before the Civil War, the no, nicknamed the Know Nothings, okay? Yeah. They were anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic, anti-German, anti-immigrant you know, type of thing. So and that was that was their mantra, to go back to where you came from. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. I, there's a congressman in Maryland who uh, suggested that President Trump meant that they should go back to their congressional districts. And really, anybody who's objective, that's a stretch to deduce that from this comments. Well, you know, I, I, I actually... I so I don't mean to interrupt, but I just have to say so, so somebody somebody called somebody called the show yesterday and was making that oh he meant their districts, and I went back and I looked I looked at the tweets again and quoted them on the air and I said the word countries is in there the word districts is not yeah exactly. hello it's a very generous interpretation <laughs> uh, you know the irony of course but irony is lost on on the president and his supporters the irony is that is the one of the four members she's a naturalized citizen which happens every day in this country, people become Americans. And she became a, an American citizen in 2000, and Melania Trump didn't become one until 2006 or six, seven. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the thing. You know, you know. Now, a naturalized citizen, for listeners, has every... I was born in the United States, uh, and they have all the rights that I have, with one exception, they can't run for president. They can run, but they can, they're not allowed to be elected president. You have to be born in the United States to be eligible to be president of the United States. That's the only thing that makes them different. Yeah. You know, I, here's the thing. One of the things that bothers me about this. Let's see. It's Ilhan Omar, the representative from Minnesota, who who was born in Somalia, correct? Uh, I, I'm not sure where she was born. I'm sorry. I okay. can't remember. But, yeah, but, but, right, but she was the one that's not. She is not born in the United States. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know that much about her, really, at all, other, other than... Uh, you know that she's a member of Congress, but think about this. Somebody, I, I, I see here, she was born in Somalia. So, uh, and now there, there is a there is a country that uh, clearly has <laughs> had a lot of problems over the years. Uh, still does. It still does. And and she um, uh, she comes from there to the United States. And I don't know. Again, I don't know really know her story, but. She, just by virtue of the fact that she ends up later in her life being elected to Congress. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a beautiful story. It's got to have a lot of, a, a lot of great stuff about it. Right. I mean, you know, it's a very tiny minority of Americans who ever get elected to Congress. And here's somebody who came from this other war torn, uh, strife torn country, uh, lands in Minnesota, runs for Congress, gets elected. Um, uh, wow. That's the American dream, isn't it? Yeah. That's a pretty good story. I mean, you could disagree with her views on, on issues, and, and you should if you don't agree with them, and you should have a debate with her in the proper form and let it all sure. go and see yeah. that the best debater win. Uh, but, you know, I remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger came over. Uh, he's from Austria, of course. It's a yep. little different situation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he came and he, he struggled uh, to have a foothold, and then he was elected governor of California. He was an actor, okay? and became governor of California. He was a, a citizen who came in from another country and became an American citizen. So, you know, people, and that's another example, of course, every day there are examples of this that you and I are not talking about. You know, my grandparents came over from Italy on boats and, and they, they got employment and then they had another generation, you know, my parents and, yep. and that who moved on. That's, that's been the classic American dream of immigrants who have made our country better, not just by themselves, but by then the generations that followed them. Uh, and you could disagree with her views, and those of the three who were born in the United States, um, fine, do that. Have a healthy debate over it. This, this is just really, 
and you know, President Trump was asked yesterday, is, is this basically racist talk? And what, what do you think your people, your supporters will think? And he goes, well, they like it. So he wasn't downplaying it. Yeah. I, and, and I, I mean, that's, that's why that's one of the reasons that why it feels a lot of people are speculating that there's some strategy going on here. And I was saying to uh, our guest, uh, the guest we had on previous to, to you, Tom, this morning that, uh, uh, I hope that nobody really plans to develop an electoral majority uh, from people who agree that, uh, you know, all these people of color should go back where they came from. I mean, well, you know, there is there is a there is a, a base of voters out there who be, who be, who believe that uh, the, the country has people who deserve to be here and people who are a burden on this country. I'm being charitable here There's, this, to deny that is. It would be, you know, crazy to deny that. And President Trump has found a lot of his supporters among these vote, this voting base. Now, I don't think it's a majority of Americans who feel that way, but a majority of Americans never vote. Yeah, well, <laughs> there, there is there is that problem as well. Yeah, and I, frankly, I hope I hope that that a lot of folks, maybe who didn't vote in 2016, uh, wake up this time and realize that uh, if you don't vote, you know. Something pretty bad could happen. I mean, let's have you know yeah. th- that basic level of responsibility of uh, of essentially you know this this um, keeping this stuff at bay. Uh, th- things uh, a lot of people don't vote because they say ah oh, things are never going to get better. Well, here's yeah, here's well. The, here's the problem with that attitude. Things things could get worse, a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So th- 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 there we go. Um, the uh, Trump administration is unilaterally moving to end asylum protections for most yeah. Central American migrants. What's going on here? We're, we have a we have a brief period of time left, but today in the Federal Register they're going to publish a law, uh, a ruling, I should a rule that takes effect immediately because they've jettisoned the 30-day waiting period on it. You can't apply for asylum if you go through a third country before reaching an asylum position. So, in other words, if you leave El Salvador and travel through Mexico to the United States and get to the border and apply for asylum. You're not going to be eligible anymore. That's going to be challenged in court real fast, but it's just a, a draconian step uh, that, again, is an executive order type of action, which the president prefers, so he doesn't have to deal with Congress or the courts. And um, that's a big, big deal. We, uh, by Friday, by Friday, when I'm back on your show, I bet there's a good chance it'll already be challenged in court. Will it be shot down? Uh, it, it appears to go against uh, existing law, so that's that's. I mean, I'm not a legal reporter, yeah. so it's, yeah, yeah. I don't like to project, but I think right. there's a good chance. Previous actions by the White House regarding immigration and asylum taken unilaterally have been blocked by the courts. Right. All right. Well, Tom Scuderi, I know you got to you got to get. I appreciate go. you would spend yeah. some time with us. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I wanted to bring in our next guest here. Steve Pappas is the uh, editor of the Times Argus and Rutland Herald, and uh, is a is a uh, one of our show favorites, I'd say by now, because he's been a guest host no, numerous times, uh, including on short notice last week. Really appreciate that, and uh, he uh, also has been a guest many times on the program and. Uh, uh, we have a particular topic we want to talk about with Steve today, uh, and that is that his paper has been running uh, big ads, I think full-page ads, if I recall correctly, in some cases at least, from an outfit called Jewel, Jewel, J-U-U-L, no relation to Dana Jewel, our, our uh, engineer here, uh, but uh, the... Um, 
the paper's been running these jewel e-cigarette ads, uh, and they basically have a pitch that talks about, hey, smokers, if you were trying to quit smoking, uh, you can uh, maybe cut the ill health effects to some degree by switching to this other thing, an e-cigarette. And uh, I uh, we're hearing a lot of stuff from folks who are in various health fields, the American Heart Association, the American Cancer Society, the, the health department of the state of Vermont, uh, don't do it, uh, or at least maybe switch from cigarettes to, to e-cigarettes, but don't start a new uh, a new habit, uh, a tobacco habit, uh, by virtue of e-cigarettes. Uh, they are not uh, they are not healthier enough than traditional cigarettes that you should smoke them at all. Don't do it. Uh, is the idea, especially for younger people? There, there's been a huge boom in popularity for these things uh, among high schoolers and even down in the middle schools in some places. Uh, a lot of worry about that uh, out there these days. So, is it is it uh, is it okay for a newspaper to run ads for this product? Uh, Steve Pappas joins us. Thank you so much for doing so, Steve. Yeah, always a pleasure, Dave. And I guess I, I guess I would kick off the, the the discussion by pointing out that on the one hand, uh, we may be taking uh, money from a company that um, provides a product that people don't necessarily agree with or subscribe to, but um, the paper historically has um, in various ways shown its um, its uh, opposition to vaping and e-cigarettes. We were a, we editorialized in favor of Tobacco 21, which was raising the, the age of purchasing not just cigarettes, but all of these, these things, um, these um, devices, these jewels and other e-cigarette e e devices um, to age 21. And um, we regularly um, provide space to hospitals and different groups, including the Washington County Youth Services Bureau, um, which pro provides us with a monthly column that um, on several occasions has warned against um, young people and all people, but specifically geared toward young people using um, and purchasing and using these uh, these devices, and um, it, there's no question about it. It's a fine line to walk because, as a business, you know we we need to be able to support ourselves. Um, and these folks, through the session and throughout the course of the year, um, were purchasing full-page ads um, in the Times Argus and the Rutland Herald, um, basically rallying support for their cause, which was to not raise the uh, age to 21. And then once it was raised, uh, they continued an ad campaign that said, we support, you know, we don't want kids purchasing um, these things and um, the, the tone of them changed a bit from less about kind of a rallying cry against the legislation um, to don't smoke. You know, yeah. there are safe there are safer ways to enjoy. You know, whatever this whatever you want to call this is. Um, but you know, the critics and there have been many. We've had. Um, uh, different schools who are involved in newspapers and education with us, um, really giving us the side eye and kind of coming down hard saying, do you really, really, your paper's going to take money from 
company that produces a, a product that has uh, potentially uh, something that has a, a nicotine value that's even higher than a cigarette. So you're actually promoting kids getting addicted if they get their hands on it. And um, as you pointed out, the, the Heart Association, the Hospitals Association, individual hospitals have reached out to us and said, you know, shame on you for taking money from um, a company uh, that is 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 doing this, but you know our 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 argument is twofold. One, you know, we they're entitled to put advertising in our publication, whether it's through free speech or selling their product, and um, and. You know, we've got a product, you know, it all it all comes together. We're a reflection of the community, and there are people in the community who um, use these things. And, you know, it's at the center. It's definitely at the center of a debate, but we've got a business to run, too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it is an interesting uh, idea here that... Uh, that the newspaper would would start picking and choosing its advertisers based on the values uh, represented by the products. Uh, I I think there's a bit of a slippery slope there. I mean, you could argue that uh, cars contribute to climate change. So what? We're not going to run car ads anymore. I you know. Well, and, but and that that has been brought up that we've actually had people say, why would you run? Um, advertising or or things in the paper it doesn't even just have to be advertising. Some people just don't want articles that are supportive of anything that have to do with fossil fuels. Don't put in the low gas prices kind of article because we don't want people using gasoline. We want people switching to e vehicles. Well, that's not realistic. We can't do that, and and we can't pick and choose the content based on what the you know kind of what the 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 trends are of the day in in the sense of what people are fighting over what's right and wrong in the marketplace that's not that's not a good use of the newspaper space and and I think there's an important thing for the public to be aware aware of here you know you and I both with backgrounds in journalism understand this and and it's just part of our daily lives and that is that is this idea of objectivity and detachment and I know a lot of people say yeah you guys aren't objective anymore you're all a bunch of liberals or whatever but but really uh, you just described a situation in, w- in which your newspaper is taking money from a manufacturer of e-cigarettes and you're and you're at, you know maybe on the same day running editorials saying you'd like to see the the uh, age for these uh, purchasing these products to be raised to 21 something that company opposes a good lesson there folks for anybody who, who thinks that uh, that you know advertisers influence editorial content right there right? yeah well but but to the public's credit and you know in the in looking at overall health i get it i understand why people would be opposed to it and mm-hmm. and i i literally dave am stopped on the street and out of fairness i will i will reveal two things one that there are plenty of newspapers around the country that have refused to run these ads yep. our newspapers it's the rutland herald and the times argus did not refuse to accept those ads, in part because our bottom line depends on us sending, hitting certain numbers. I mean, it's like it comes down to a sustainability, uh, a, a sustainability thing. And now, it's, do we it's, have a, a, a long term contract? No, yep. it's it's you know I believe.
believe it's a, you know, as we go kind of thing. Um, there, you know, you're probably booking a week or two in advance, but it's not like we have a 52 week contract, uh, where we've just made a big pile of money on Jewel. It is a month to month kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'll reveal is that personally, I don't vape. I don't smoke. Um, I'm opposed to it. I'm opposed. I, I, I personally do not think that that our papers necessarily should be doing that. But that is not my decision. That is a business decision. It's yeah. bigger than me. And um, and so what I do, my I feel my due diligence is to make sure that other organizations who are opposed to it have a place in the paper for that, whether it's on the editorial page in columns, column inches, which I get, I've been giving away for free, by the way, to these different organizations, whether it's been the youth services, the Washington County Youth Services Bureau or the local hospitals through the health talk column, that's free. They don't pay for that. Yeah. And I, I'm giving away column inches so that they can say, don't do this. Right, right. And, and we've been running the articles in the last few weeks that Kinney Drug is not selling these devices anymore. And Kinney Drug, by the way, is one of our advertisers. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, too, because way back at the beginning of my journalism career, in fact, when I was still in college at UMass Amherst, there was a controversy on campus because um, uh, there was a... Um, I, I think the campus newspaper was running it was running a beer ad. Of course, the drinking age was 18, so the majority of students on the campus could drink at that time. And I don't remember the brand of beer, but it, it featured a uh, uh, a woman in uh, uh, you know a, a very attractive woman in limited clothing, shall we say? I don't remember exactly what she was wearing, but uh, you know it was designed to be sexy and and. Uh, uh, and there was a lot of complaints from from people on campus. You know, you should not be running this ad. It's sexist, et cetera. Uh, and um, it, there was um, so so this kind of thing has been this kind of debate has been around for for a long time uh, in terms of what are the values that are represented by advertising. And again, traditionally, the uh, there's been sort of a church and state rule with most newspapers where the advertising is not not supposed to be mingled in anyone's thinking with the editorial uh the news decisions or the or the opinion pages or whatever in the newspaper so that's uh that's uh, well and that that's supposed to be true now but it's it, our, all news organizations <coughs> excuse me are so small at this point yeah. that i hear i hear who our advertisers are going to be that doesn't mean that i say you know we ought to do a story on so and so because you know every advertiser who comes to our door knows that you know, if they do something wrong, they're going to get nailed, and we're going to report on it. That's just the way that works. We- Steve, let's keep let's continue this after our bottom of the hour break. Uh, there, there's a signal for it, and uh, we will uh, hear some CBS News. A couple words from sponsors. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with Steve Pappas, the Times Argus, and Ronald Harold. Back shortly.
I wish I had a dollar for every compliment I get about our selection upstairs at the Warren store. This season's collection boasts country casual clothing for men and women, dresses for summer weddings and events, baby clothing from Zutano and Doodle Pants, and fair trade jewelry from around the world. I'm excited about a new line of pottery from Londonderry, Vermont. Also, illuminated paper stars for outdoor fun. It's a great day trip to Warren Village. Come for lunch on the deck and upstairs for some unique retail therapy. Fun, funky, and friendly, and almost world famous. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. Back, uh, continuing our conversation with Steve Pappas, the editor of the Rutland Herald and uh, Barry Montpelier Times Argus, uh, talking about the fact that those papers have been running ads in recent months from a company called Jewel that makes uh, e-cigarettes. And a lot of concern about e-cigarettes, especially the booming use of them among our youth. Uh, they are they are basically nicotine delivery devices. Nicotine is a highly addictive drug, not good for your health. The uh, Vermont Health Department, uh, I was just looking at their website on this topic, and they say there's been an alarming increase in student use of electronic cigarettes, commonly known as vaping or jeweling, uh, referencing the use of the popular brand Juul. That's J-U-U-L. E-cigarettes are small in design and easy to conceal. E-cigarettes typically contain nicotine along with other harmful chemicals and can be can also be used to vape cannabis extract and honey oil. The Centers for Disease Control, CDC, identified best practices for combating this health epidemic, health communications, comprehensive smoke-free policies, and increasing tobacco prices. And uh, one of the uh, one of the one of the things that um, that the state of Vermont has been doing, of course, is instituting a new tax on uh, e-cigarettes. They just 92% tax to match the state's tax on tobacco products. Uh, this is a basically a tobacco product here, folks, and uh, so it, it uh, makes a, a bit of sense here. The um, uh, and, and and Steve, uh, uh, does the state need to do more? Is there are there other things that uh, can be done as in a sort of in an official way here? Well, I, I uh, on the same vein as, as the, what we were talking about at the top of the half hour, I was um, we editorialized in support of that tax, um, and yeah, we feel like the the state should be doing all that it can be. Um, we wanna we want a healthy population. Um, now, again, this is where the hypocrisy comes in, right? I just said that out loud and said that that we want to do that, but um, and that the, the state can do its part, and other organizations can do the health, the Cancer Society, the Heart Association, they can all do their part um, to make sure that that everybody's educated on on the dangers and the risks. Um, and I'm providing a forum for both sides of that and folks don't like that and that that definitely puts puts me in a pickle uh puts the paper in a pickle because um you know while the state should be doing more to make it difficult um we should all probably be doing more to make it difficult um and um and some perceive what i'm doing as and what the paper is doing as not being hard enough um so, but I also don't 
quite know the way around that other than saying, no, we won't take your money. And, uh, and, and we, you know, again, as you pointed out early on, if we start assigning values to everything that, uh, to every, uh, potential advertiser who comes through the door, um, we can find a reason not to, not to run advertising on just about any product and any service. And yep. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to start going down that slippery slope. You know, I, 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 it's kind of interesting. Sometimes I, I had a, we were talking about, you know, uh, not running car ads because of climate change, just as one sort of maybe extreme example here. But but a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Matthew Durr on, the uh, president of Sterling College, and he was his whole pitch that day was talking about how higher education needs to step up in a big way, both in terms of its own practices, you know, going to net zero and, and uh, taking other steps to combat climate change and also really stepping up the education of students in subjects related to climate change and uh, the effort to combat it and so on and so forth. Took a took a break from that interview here on the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM, and uh, and sure enough, what came up a big commercial for? I think they were talking about the GMC Sierra, which of course is a big pickup pickup truck, and it was just kind of like, well, there you go, folks. So I think many I, I only bring that up because I, I it points to the fact that many of us in the media are are in a. Uh, what what on the surface could be to, to could appear to be kind of in a confused situation, you know, where on the one hand we're trying to address issues that uh, many people consider it important to say combat uh, e-cigarette use, uh, and so we we talk all about that, editorialize editorialize about that, and then run an ad for e-cigarettes, e and uh, and people have a I think a legit question: How can you do that? What are you doing? Uh, and the answer is that uh, generally in most media outlets. Uh, the uh, the developers of the of the editorial news content uh, don't have any extensive conversations about trying to coordinate what you're doing with your uh, with your ad your advertising staff and um, and there are good reasons for that and I and I think that uh, among them that you really don't want your advertising considerations uh, you know I'm okay I'm not going to say anything about such and such a local business because. Uh, they might stop buying advertising with us. You know, you want to resist that uh, that issue, um, and so there's just the sort of hands off, or you know, as we think of it, a church and state relationship uh, between the two sides of many media outlets, and uh, and you see the results sometimes in some fairly awkward just juxtapositions. Yeah, and I I, I wish it weren't. Um, it weren't that way, and one of you know one of the biggest challenges that we have right now in in the media in general, and especially in newspapers, is that um, it, people who grew up with newspapers can discern between what the content of a newspaper is. But what we find is that that um, over time we are seeing that younger people and other people, anybody who's kind of picking up a newspaper because maybe their business appears in it on a regular basis or someone they know, a family member is quoted regularly in the paper, well, they'll subscribe and they're interested or they're interested because their kids are in local sports or local arts or whatever it happens to be. But what we find is that they actually can't discern when they, they'll call up and say, I'm really offended by your editorial. Well, they're actually talking about a story on the front page, which is clearly non-editorial, and and people may may say, well, that's semantics. It's it's 
but it's not because each one of the the, the things that pro, that are part of the content of a newspaper, the editorials or opinions on that one page, the news and the advertising are three very distinct, different parts of the newspaper, and yet people see the content of the newspaper as one thing. It's one bucket because it's one product. It's delivered to their door as one thing, and they don't, they can't differentiate, nor do they want to differentiate between an ad, an editorial, or news. They just want to know, you know, why is it there? And um, it's tricky because, um you know, even even our ownership refers to everything that goes into the bucket as content. You yep. know, well, you need more content. Well, we're you know we're providing content. Well, they're not talking about news; they're talking about ads. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's even confusing within the industry when the push is you know we need we. You know, we need more dollars. We need more content. We need more ads. And in my mind, it's we need more news. We need more news. We need more news. And uh, <laughs> yep. And uh, so age old tension in this business. Uh, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And yep. you know, and and and, we, and there's that also that argument. It's kind of a chicken and an egg argument of, well, can you sell a newspaper without news, or do you have to have? Um, news to be able to sell ads. And uh, again, it depends on the community, it depends on the circumstance. But I can tell you that um, the bottom line for the papers that are are taking any kind of advertising is that that bottom line is that they want to be sustainable, they want to be viable, and they want to continue to be a, an important piece of their community because mom and pop stores and the small time advertisers, a lot of those went away because they could they felt that they could get a bigger bang for their buck on Facebook or social media, and there's very little cost to them associated with it. Um, the problem is that they're also turning their back on the fact that every day um, people are paying to put eyes on our product or any product that a newspaper, provi- you know, a, a newspaper provides. Those people are paying to look at that content. They want to see it, and you know, turning your back on, you know. Pulling advertising out of a, a small town newspaper is like shooting yourself in the foot because you're ignoring a huge part of your audience, and uh, you know that's a shame that 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 trend has happened and that newspapers have had to suffer as a result of it. Not just newspapers, all media. If you look at even TV media, TV advertising has changed a bit as well. It's 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 tough. The internet has changed the ball game entirely. Yeah, and and uh, and I mean that is that is something that that is worthy of consideration here. In other words, the, you know the the underlying question for our whole conversation here is: Should the Times, Argus, and Rutland Herald run ads from a company that is marketing an addictive product that is uh, uh, coming in for heavy criticism from health professionals, that being e-cigarettes, uh, and and is there is there any kind of a uh, a way that newspapers should be 
Oh, I guess some some folks are encouraging you not to run these ads. The uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we hear a lot of conversations about how newspapers are important uh, institutions in their community, and and many people lament that they have shrunk in 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 size and in staff and all the rest of it. The, the industry is in su- such trouble that many newspapers have outright closed down around the country. Uh, others have gone to you know fewer editions per week, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's, it's an, it's a industry that's been on the ropes now for, for a quarter century, really. And, uh, and the, so you, you kind of say, well, they need the revenue. I mean, somebody has to step up. I mean, I sometimes putting it very simply to friends who want to know, you know, why the, um, why the newspaper isn't as, isn't as aggressive and say covering the state house as it used to be. Um, you know, I, I say, well, when, when you last wanted to buy or sell a car, where did you look? And they said Craigslist. And I said, well, you know what? Craigslist doesn't hire state house reporters, right. uh, you know? And so that, that's, uh, that's the bottom line is that the, the, the industry, the econ- underlying economics of the industry is, uh, have changed, uh, completely. And, uh, and newspapers are struggling. Uh, I, I personally don't object myself to, uh, to running these ads. And again, I think, I, I think we are proof you and I, Steve, and many, many other people who don't smoke, or don't vape, uh, jewel e-cigarettes, uh, despite the fact that we, uh, we've seen these ads in your paper. Somehow we well, resist. And, but, uh, and, and to take that a step further, I would say that we don't, we, we've seen them. We may have a reaction to it um, that leads to a conversation like this one, which, by the way, raises awareness about vaping and e-cigarettes and you you come down one side or the other on on the issue because people who do vape don't care people who don't want people to vape care a lot yep. and um, that's what a newspaper is supposed to be is that reflection of the community good bad or ugly and there are ugly things in our community and um, you know and I'm not necessarily saying that jewel jewels and vaping are ugly it's just something that people can um, people have very strong opinions about and don't like um, there was a period of time when uh, I, I worked at a newspaper in Maine and a local um, theater was running lots of um, that had tra- traditionally been a regular old you know movie theater family movie theater and they started um, running a lot of R-rated movies mm-hmm. and um People started writing to the letters to the editor. It was a pretty conservative town, and people were writing letters to the editor saying that the, it was the the by running the advertising in the paper, this theater and the newspaper were promoting violence and sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, hypersexuality, because it was they this theater was running more R-rated movies, and the advertiser obviously the theater pulled its advertising but then other people started pulling their advertising as well um, because they felt that strongly about it now they came back because they realized that there is a value to being in the newspaper but um, you know in that particular case it went so far as boycott and Mm -hmm. Um, that was a, and that's a strange situation to have happen, but um, you know it all kind of comes down to what our communities feel like 
they want. And the newspaper is a perfect place to have those discussions for us to all come together and have the discussion and have the dialogue. Because ultimately, with that number of eyes and and people talking, you end up potentially changing policy and changing the direction of where we're going. And that's what you want. We do have a caller on the line, Paul from Moncton. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Steve. Hey, a phrase that comes to mind uh, to me, especially in regards to the legalization of marijuana, but could also be applied to this, is tacit approval. And to the extent of that if adults are allowed to use marijuana, i.e. the way they drink, it does have an impact upon our youth. Um, the same thing with advertising. Uh, you know, we look at ads for initiated women that get you know, portrayed as the ideal woman that sets a bad standard for you know, our youth growing up. Uh, I don't know if this portrays, you know, if it has anything to do with, you know, your advertising of the jewel, but it's something that should be discussed because, you know, on the positive end of it, it could also end up being something that, uh, if parents handle it right, is an open discussion to explain, you know, what that product is, why it's not healthy for you, and move on from there and make, you know, good life decisions. But tacit approval is a phrase I would use. Interesting point, Paul. Uh, is there tacit approval, Steve Steve Pappas, coming from your newspaper here, or even uh, more than tacit approval? Uh, you know, downright encouragement from an advertising uh, uh, from an ad like this. Well, uh, so the advertising department actually does have standards by which it uh, is going to put something uh, into an ad. It's not going to just blindly uh, put something in that is. Um, designed to be offensive or, um, you know, essentially um, stir some kind of outrage. We, we, we saw uh, during the course of the session um, ads that were pro and uh, against abortion, um, and those ads were um, put out there, and some of them um, contained images that we were not comfortable with, um, and uh, we were willing to allow the the text version of what, what those concerns were, um, but we did not allow the photograph, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have somebody else who says, well, you know, see, it probably will come up to me and say, well, you know, Jewel is just as offensive as this because you're you're getting kids addicted to nicotine um well i'm not but um i you know i get the point but all of those those kinds of things do get vetted it's not so yes it goes to the the ad is designed for the adult public um it, it are we being, you know, are we giving carte blanche to that particular audience? We are because papers have utilitarian value and we understand, you know, who the market is, is going to be. Um, does that mean we're giving it tacit approval? Mm, I, I don't think so. I think we're, you know, we're doing our due diligence to make sure that what we do run in the paper is, is at least vetted and, uh, and discussed. Again, as you pointed out, I'm not part of that discussion because I'm not, I don't oversee the advertising departments of the papers. That's a, that's a business office decision. Um, am I made aware that they're there? Yep. Because 
the editor and even the reporters and the photographers who are kind of out in the public, they're more of the the face of the newspaper and they need to be made aware of these things so that when they're confronted about it on, you know, covering a baseball game or a city council meeting or on the Dave Graham show that, uh, you know, we can at least talk about it intelligently and um and and kind of take those body blows as we need to yeah yeah and, and uh it, it sounds like you you certainly uh, take your share and of course i we occasionally have listeners who call up here and uh give me what for and that and that is that is fine uh we we uh i think in both of our media we we welcome a range of, of opinions out there uh, sometimes expressing our own on in your case the editorial page in my case the various spots in the uh in the broadcast here but uh uh, your um, your uh, efforts, I think. I mean, I, I I was just looking at your letters column this morning, and there are there are uh, letters in there which you know would be identified as coming from someone who is uh, liberal or left leaning, and uh, there are other letters uh, you could see uh, somebody probably is you know a supporter of President Trump, and uh, so it's a mix, and it should be a mix. That's the whole. That is the whole uh, one of the main purposes of. Any main, a mainstream uh, media outlet like this really is, uh, uh, and and that's that. It's all about uh, all about continuing the public discussion here. It's uh, something that Steve, I think you and I both love to do, and we love to be involved in it and and uh, and try to help facilitate it and so on. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I feel like I feel like newspapers should be helping to create that dialogue all the time, and the media in general needs to be doing it, especially in this day and age when you know we're we tend to uh, feel most comfortable in the echo chambers of of social media and you know algorithms that tell us what we want to be reading. I, you know, we got to get it out of our comfort zone and have these broader discussions. Um, the yeah. one thing I will point out that is that I find most interesting is that the people who are the, the, are kind of making the loudest noise about it uh, about these ads tend to be with professional associations or lobbyists for these professional associations. Um, it hasn't really been everyday readers. It's been um, advocacy. It, it's it's kind of come at us from an advocacy level, um, which is fine. Um, but it is interesting that you know, it's not an everyday reader stopping me on the street and saying, what is going on with your paper? You know, why would you do that? Well, um, <laughs> we'll have to keep following and find out. That's uh, We're about out of time, though, for this edition of the Dave Graham Show. I may have just teed it up. Yeah, there you go. Steve Pappas, thanks so much for joining me this morning. It's great talking yeah. with you. You too, Dave. Uh, that's about it for our program today. Uh, stay tuned for Bill Sayre, Common Sense Radio. Tune in tomorrow again at about 9.05 or even earlier for some CBS News before the Dave Graham Show, uh, roughly 9 to 11 every weekday. We'll be in touch soon, folks. 